Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. On Spectrum, we cover a wide range of topics that are important to our lives. We feature journalists, authors, scholars, policymakers, activists, scientists, innovators, and sometimes people who just have fascinating stories. In this episode, guest host Emily Vota probes the mind of author, lecturer, humorist, and intellectual Fran Leibowitz. Leibowitz, who recently left the confines of New York City to travel to the Midwest, gives her views on smartphones, choosing friends, and mortality. So you've said before that your parents didn't always appreciate your wit when you were growing up. And I was curious, when did you figure out that other people did and that your wit could be a real asset? Well, always. My friends did, you know, even when I was a little kid. And even some other people's parents, um, but not my parents and not my grandparents or my other relatives. And uh, because, you know, I was a child in the 1950s. This, it's as different to be a child now as it was in the 1950s as to be a child now in the 1850s. So one of the things was children were supposed to just obey every adult all the time. And one of the things children weren't supposed to do was talk back, which simply meant talk. In other words, if, if a parent or any adult teacher told you to do something and you said something back to them, it wouldn't, you know, nothing extreme, just even something funny, you were punished. So, you know, my parents didn't like it because it was not obedient. I'm not sure they ever really changed their mind. I mean, obviously, I grew up in a certain point they were not uh, able to punish me for this, but um, it was very common then, it, it, and especially with girls. But, you know, uh, girls were really supposed to be quiet and obedient, um, and so I was neither. You have uh, many friends, uh, many of them very accomplished, very famous. I'm wondering, what do you do to create and maintain longtime friendship? Well, you know, probably because to me, and this is really pretty much always been true. To me, the, the most important relationships in my life have always been friendships. And and part of the reason for that is I, I believe and have pretty much always believed that friendships are the only relationships that we really choose. You know, obviously we don't choose our families. You know, people always say you choose your romantic partners, but you don't because, you know, that's a kind of, um, I don't know, uh, chemical response to someone, you know, sexual desire. That's not really a choice, you know. So your friends, you really choose. And so, you know, I think it's more likely that you would choose friends that you would really get along with for a long period of time, you know, because you chose them, you know. I mean, people talk, use the word choose all the time. 
in areas where it just is simply not true. You know, so the only, you know, there's very, even now, I mean, I'm not just an adult, I'm old, you know, so I've had autonomy for surely way more than, you know, most of my life. And still, I don't have that many choices because people don't. Like, no one says, would you like to pay your taxes, friend? No, but I have to pay them. So, you know, would you like to do this? No, but you still have to do tons of things you don't want to do, but you don't have to be friends with people you don't want to be friends with. So, I mean, you avoid all types of machines and certainly smartphones. Does it ever surprise you that uh, your generation can be as addicted to their smartphones as, uh, say, my generation? Uh, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's, I mean, it certainly is not true that I, that you know, people always say you're a Luddite, which, first of all, no one seems to know what it is, but I'm not a Luddite. People always say you hate modern technology, which is not true. What is true is that my entire life, I've had an antipathy to machines of any kind. I never had a typewriter, okay? That's a very old machine. In fact, it's so old that lots of kids don't even know what one was, okay? So um, I'm not surprised that people my age are addicted to these, uh, like, you know, iPhones and stuff, because they are actually formulated to be addictive. So it's not surprising to me. Anyone can be addicted to anything. You know, all kinds of substances are addictive, and anyone can fall prey to that addiction no matter what age you are when you try it. So I'm not at all surprised. I mean, of course, it's much different, you know, for someone who's old to be addicted to these because they do remember, if you remind them, you know, a world before them. But um, it's apparently so – I mean, I see almost everybody – and I – I travel a huge amount, not just in this country, but around the world. And no matter where I go, I am surrounded by people on their phones. And lots of times I think, what are you doing? You know, sometimes I'll look like on the subway and I would say that, I don't know, you know, the percentage, but surely 80% of the time, no matter where I am in the world, whether I'm on a subway or a plane or in the airport, you know, or in the street, people are playing games on these phones which I find to be kind of a silly preoccupation for an adult. Just the people who know me very much resent, I don't have an iPhone, because they're always saying to me, I can't reach you. And I always think, so what? Who am I? I'm not that important. You know, who needs to reach me all the time? I'm, it's not like a, the head of, you know, emergency neurosurgery at New York Hospital. I don't have to be reached. Um, no, There's no emergency, unfortunately, that I've ever been able to fix. So if you have an emergency, you really should contact someone who can actually fix that emergency, which has never been made. So it's for themselves that they want to find you. And I don't really care whether people can find me or not. So, But other people do seem to care that people can find them all the time. People keep track of people in a way that I find um, really, I have to say, awful. It's like, um, I mean, for someone my age, it's like 1984. It's like, you know, the, the surveillance of people by their own friends, by their own relatives, uh, is like never ending. And I think, why do you want people watching you all the time? Because I don't. And it's not that when, it's not that, you know, don't watch me because I'm robbing a bank. It's that don't watch me because I want the freedom to just go where I go without there being a permanent record of it. Although that's almost impossible. You know, in New York, anyway, and in most cities that I'm aware of, um, there are cameras everywhere. Even if you can't see them, there are cameras everywhere. I mean, here, every time there's a crime, 10 minutes after the crime, they surely want to move you to the crime. I always think, do these criminals not know there's a movie of crime? You know, it's like literally 10 minutes later. So I'm even surprised there still is crime. And that's because of two reasons. One, 
that for some reason, even though a seven-year-old can produce on their phone like a movie, you know, with the production values of Titanic, those surveillance cameras look really like Charlie Chaplin movies. You know, they look like old black and white silent movies. Um, basically, get new cameras, and then you could see uh, who committed the crime, and they would catch all the criminals, and people would stop jumping over counters in New York bodegas, you know, and stabbing people in order to hear, you know, what they steal all the time is lottery tickets, which it, to me seems so hilarious. It doesn't matter whether you steal them or you buy them, you're not winning. Almost no one wins the lottery. Haven't you found that out? So why would you steal and steal something that's worth something? Candy bars. They, candy bars are worth something. Everything else in that deli is worth something. Those lottery tickets are worth almost nothing. Do you feel that uh, social media has cheapened the uh, human experience in any significant way? You know, I don't know. You know, it's really hard for me to 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 make that, you know, uh, to, to really say that because since I don't really participate in it, you know, and... Truthfully, you know, the human experience is very often cheap because human beings not your greatest species. So it's not like, you know, before iPhones, the average person was busily producing important things for the culture. It's not like if only that guy didn't have that iPhone, we'd have a cure for cancer. You know that isn't true. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, it certainly is true that people who are young, their idea of relationships is completely different. I mean, they absolutely refer to friends you know, refer to people as friends that they've never met. So, And people have said to me very often, how can that be a friend? I said, well, they think it's a friend, so it's a friend. I mean, to me it wouldn't be, you know, but to them it is a friend. People people have romances, you know, which are totally imaginary, you know, um, on the on the Internet, um, and which also that does strike me as dangerous. I don't mean just dangerous like the person may turn out to be like a serial killer, but it's a total fantasy. If you don't have to deal with another human being, you are not having the experience of being with that person. Because I don't care how great you think the person is, you know, the truth is there are going to be a lot of problems with every single person. And it's better to find them out before, for instance, you hand over your bank account to them, which people apparently do. I do find this a little shocking. I mean, if it happened one time, I could understand it. But since even I, a person who doesn't have any of these devices, knows it happens thousands of times, I think, how could these people be so unaware of this? Do you think that the uh, average person today is uh, perhaps more or less aware of their mortality than maybe they were, say, in the early 70s? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, people don't really want to think about dying, and this has always been true. Now, people used to be more compelled to think about it way before the 70s because of religion, you know, no matter what the religion is that you have, you know, religion is very preoccupied with death. And that's one of the reasons that religion can demand certain things of people, because if you do these things, when you die, it never says you won't die. But when you die, you will go to, you know, heaven or, you know, paradise or something. You'll have a better afterlife if you do the things you're supposed to do in your religion. So it's not that people, and also people you should die much younger. I, I don't mean young people don't die now, but I mean, not in the same numbers. So uh, the human lifespan, especially in the West, is much longer than it used to be. I don't know. People are very preoccupied with their health, you know, um, but I'm not certain that that, you know, makes you live longer. I guess it does, you know, but I mean, I know tons of people are very preoccupied with their health, but have many very unhealthy habits. 
So, you know, so I, I don't really know, you know, wh- whether people are more or less preoccupied with their mortality. You know, when you're very, when you're young, you don't think about it. You know, I mean, it's like, you, you just don't think about it because generally, although you can die if you're 20, um, generally people don't die at that age. So they're not, they don't think about that much. When you get old, you know, uh, people do think about it. People now that I know that are around my age always ask when someone dies how old they want. And I always say, you know, it doesn't matter to you. They think it does. Like, well, this guy died. He was 75. I'm 70. It's meaningless. Also, that same day, a lot of guys 20 years old died. Okay, you didn't. So um, it's a kind of meaningless thing. It's it's just an aspect of human nature that people compare themselves to other people in ways that are really not sensible. That's all I have. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Today's guest host, Emily Votaw, had a conversation with author and humorist Fran Lebowitz about a broad range of interesting topics and personal observations. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available through the NPR Podcast Directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate or review our podcast through one of your favorite podcast outlets. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast or have suggested topics for us to cover in the future, please direct them to me by email. You can do that at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu. Have a good day, everyone.